We're continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we're going to look at the first 11 verses here. Here is the Apostle Paul instructing concerning spiritual gifts. We noticed last week in our study that we saw that Christians received spiritual gifts when an apostle came and laid their hands on that individual. That really was the big idea for last week's lesson. We saw it in Acts chapter 8, Romans chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, three critical texts where we see this is how a person receives spiritual gifts. An apostle came, he laid their hand, his hands on that person, and they receive those gifts. And so Paul writes this letter in this section, these three chapters, because he wants to strengthen their faith. It appears that there are some who are claiming to have gifts that they do not actually have. And what a big surprise that people would come along and claim to be something or have something that they don't really have. You'll notice that there in the first three verses, he says, I want you to understand about these gifts. He says, verse 2, what these spiritual gifts are is not like what you saw when you were a pagan worshiper. I think that's the thrust of verse 2. It's not the same thing. Those things that you were involved in with all the pagan idolatry and pagan worship, uh, don't think of it like that. These gifts come from the true and living God. Notice verse 3. Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This is going to be our main point in our lesson that we're going to look at and spend some time with. But the big takeaway I think is stated here in verse 3. No one who uses spiritual gifts speaks false things. I really think that's the illustration of verse 3. I, I kind of crack up. I think guys kind of get too smart. They read verse 3 and they get... Now, why would a Christian ever say Jesus is a curse? I don't think anybody did. I think this is an illustration to say a person who is truly in the Spirit, who had, exercises these spiritual gifts, is not going to say something false. And he uses something of an hyperbole here, something obvious. Obviously, somebody of the Spirit is going to say Jesus is a curse. And instead, if he's in the spirit, he is going to say Jesus is Lord. He's going to say things that are truthful, things that are right, things that are truly of God. So I think that's the thesis of what we're going to look at then this morning of this text. True spiritual gifts and those who exercise those spiritual gifts will speak the very things of God. Now, verse 7, I think, is important to the picture as well. Notice the reason why God gave spiritual gifts. In verse 7, he says, there's all these varieties of gifts, verse 4, varieties of service, varieties of activities. And in fact, he lists these gifts in verses 9 and 10. But he says, here's the whole point, is that God gave these things for the common good. These gifts were given to help everybody else, to help the congregation, to help other Christians, to help the brethren. I think that is critically important because you don't really see that today. And we're going to draw a couple of contrasts today that... God says gifts were not given so that you could just say, hey, I got a gift. 
It's kind of nice that I get to enjoy this gift. Shame you don't get to appreciate that because it's really nice for me. It wasn't for personal use. It was for the common good. It was to be shared. It was to be proclaimed. If you had prophecy or tongues or whatever gift you had, it wasn't something you kept in your own room and went, boy, I'm really enjoying this gift all to myself. It was for the common good. And second, it wasn't so that you would boast about it. It wasn't so that you'd go around to other people and say, well, I've got tongues. Isn't that awesome? Which is exactly what the Corinthian church was doing. The tongue speaking was the one that had taken the emphasis and they were putting down the other gifts. And so they're saying, hey, look at me. I've got a really special gift. And I think we've observed, unfortunately, people who claim to have spiritual gifts often do it for this very reason. Look at me. Look at my gift. I'm somebody because I can do this. I'm special. I have these things. And it's a shame that you don't have them. And then Paul says, that's not the true exercise of spiritual gifts. Anybody who does something like that is completely off the mark. These things are given for the common good. These things are given to build others up. And when we get to chapter 14, we're going to see him explore that, especially how these gifts were used in a way to build other Christians up so that they could be strong in the faith. The other thing that I think is important to observe when we read uh, verses 8, 9, and 10 as he gives this listing here of the various gifts of the Spirit is to please keep this truth in mind. Spiritual gifts that Paul is speaking about in these three chapters are not talents. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, okay, well, you've got the gift of gab. And so, you know, you can go out there and do some really great things with your gift of gab. Or you've got a gift of generosity or you've got a gift of kindness and you're really nice. And so you can really extend the kingdom because you're such a nice person or you're very generous with your money. These things are talents given to us by God because God formed us and made us. But that's not what he's talking about here. That's not spiritual gifts. Yes, all of our abilities, yes, all of our talents given to us by God, we are to use those things. But in this section, he is talking about gifts that are given supernaturally. When the apostle would lay his hands on that Christian, a gift was imparted to them. And that's entirely different than saying, well, I've got a gift to be able to speak or I've got a gift to be able to help or something like that. So I want us to be very aware of that, that we are not talking about gifts that anybody could have. Like, well, unbelievers could have the gift of generosity. Unbelievers have the gift of compassion. He's talking about something very narrow, something very specific. These gifts that are given by God through the Holy Spirit when the apostle laid his hands on them. And the reason we can be confident in that is you will notice verse six. There's a statement made there that we must certainly highlight. We don't want to pass by. Notice as he speaks of these gifts, service activities, all by the same spirit, all by the same Lord, all by the same God. Verse six. Notice that he says, who empowers them all in everyone. That's the ESV reading. Uh, New American Standard, New King James and IV says that God works this in everyone. Holman Christian Standard, New Revised Standard, activates 
them all in everyone. This is a critical component of how the spiritual gifts worked. God was the one who empowered the gift. God was the one that activated the gift, who worked the gift. The person did not sit there and say, I feel like we should prophesy today. Let me come up with something. Or I think I should speak in a tongue today. Let me come up with something. That's not how it worked. Verse 6 is very clear. God is the one who activated it, who worked the gift, who gave that information, those words, that gift to work within them. And so that it gives us an important picture. From last week we saw true spiritual gifts given through the Holy Spirit by the laying on of the apostles. Hands. Now add this part, it was activated or empowered by God. So to state this another way, if you're causing your gift to work, you don't have a spiritual gift. Because God says, I turn that on and off. I'm the one who speaks those words. I'm the one who causes that gift. And I think what we observe then in the religious world today is quite a contrast there. Pretty big contrast because usually you see the opposite. It is determined by the will of the person. I'm going to say something. I'm going to cause my gift to happen. But that's not how Paul argues it here. And as we go through this, you'll see that notice in verse 11, he says the same thing. All these are empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And he's going to make that point throughout this text. Here are the Corinthian Christians. They're all about speaking in tongues. And God's going to say, look, now I choose which one you get and I empower it. You don't get to choose which gift you get and you don't get to choose when you have it and when you don't. God does. And so it's a very powerful statement about how those spiritual gifts worked in the first century. Um, And I think then that makes sense of what we see. I'm going to zero in on one gift today. I'm going to zero in on the gift of prophecy. Tell all your friends next week, Lord willing, I'm zeroing in on the gift of tongues. That should fill the building. That'll get people back from vacation. (laughs) We'll talk about the gift of tongues. I want to zero in on the gift of prophecy. This is a pretty popular gift. But listen to how Peter describes the gift of prophecy. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Notice that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 12 is saying. You don't activate it. You don't empower it. You don't come up one day and say, I feel like I should give you a prophetic word today. That's not how it worked. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of a human being. The apostles did not sit down and say, I really want a prophetic word today. Nor did the Christians. It didn't work like that. But men spoke from God as they were carried along or moved by the Holy Spirit. That's how that worked. And that's the picture that 1 Corinthians 12 is painting. The gift was empowered by God, worked by God. And here Peter says, we didn't come up with our own words. We didn't make this stuff up. 
When God gave us prophecy, we were carried by the Holy Spirit. We were speaking the very words of God. This is an important definition to prophecy. Prophecy is speaking the very words of God. The human did not decide what to say. Instead, the Holy Spirit caused those words to be spoken on their lips. And that person wasn't speaking his own words. That is a critical definition. Peter, nor the apostles, nor any prophet came along and said... I think God wants me to say to you, think about the prophets from Isaiah to Malachi. Do any of them do a, I kind of think God is saying something here. (laughs) I feel something going on. No. All the prophets, when they spoke, it was God moving them to speak. These are the words you're going to speak. In fact, that's part of the promise that Jesus gave to his apostles. We're going to pick up our John study in chapters 14, 15, and 16 after this study where we see the promise of the Holy Spirit given to the apostles. One of those promises was, you won't have to worry about the words to say. I'm going to give you the words. I'm going to say the words. God is going to empower that. That was going to be something special. That's what prophecy is. Now, that is a big, big contrast to the modern definition of prophecy that we have today. I'm going to rely upon one very noted uh, person. His name is Sam Storms. And the reason I'm going to use him is because he is a noted Bible author. He is a preacher in Oklahoma City. And he is one of the leading evangelical teachers. He believes in miraculous spiritual gifts. He says he is a prophet. He speaks prophetic words. He has people in his congregation who are practicing who speak prophetic words. And so he's not one of those TBN on the, you know, the real high channel numbers. You know, we're not one of those guys that you turn TV and go, well, that guy's completely loony. You know, he's throwing people. He's not one of those guys. He is respected in religious circles. He is respected within Christendom. He is respected in evangelical circles. Okay. So I want to just do some of the quotes of what he defines as prophecy. This is from his sermons that are online. You can go listen to him if you'd like to. He says, in speaking of prophecy, he says, It is the speaking forth in merely human words what God has brought to mind. I want you to consider that is a difference than what Peter said. He says, it is speaking forth what God's brought to mind, but he says it's in human words. Wait a minute. Peter said, I'm speaking the words of God. And that's what all the prophets ever said. Remember, every single prophet comes along and he says, hey, these are the words of God. These aren't my words. Remember, as they're being tortured and persecuted, these are the words of God. This is what God says to you. Every single prophet would stand up and say, thus says the Lord. He didn't stand up and say, I think God told me to tell this to you. That's a big difference. So notice the minor adjustment to the definition of prophecy, but notice he goes way further. 
I had to rewind the podcast a number of times to write all this down. (laughs) My guess, in fact, I'm absolutely certain of it, that everyone who has ever been blessed to exercise this gift has in some measure here or there gotten something wrong that doesn't make them a false prophet. Interesting. Notice the change of definition of prophet. He says everybody who's ever been a prophet, who's ever exercised this gift, has gotten something wrong. That's not what the Bible says. Just wait till we pull out Deuteronomy here in just a second. He says if you get something wrong, that doesn't make you a false prophet. And so everybody makes mistakes. Everybody gets prophecy wrong. Finally, he also said, in speaking of prophecy, he said, it's a mixture of the infallible divine word of God and the fallible, oftentimes errant interpretation and application of men and women like you and me. So what he says is, as prophets, we get the infallible, inerrant word of God in our head, and we mix it with our fallible, oftentimes, air-filled application and interpretation of men and women like you and me. Do you see why that would be a big problem? Am I the only one jumping out of my chair when I'm listening to this going... If the prophetic word was infallible when it came to you, but is oftentimes messed up by humans, then what do I have at the end of the day? Absolutely nothing, right? I have nothing of value. If you're saying you get the very words of God, but by the time you speak it to me, it's not the words of God, but mixed with the fallible application and interpretation that you have, then I don't have the word of God anymore. I have man's words, which is of no value and which does not teach, which, by the way, is not what Peter said. Peter said prophecy. He says we were carried by the Holy Spirit. He does not make the argument there in second Peter one and verse 20. He says, now we were carried by the Holy Spirit, but you know, we're human and we might have got a few things wrong. Did the apostles ever stand on that? Did a prophet of God stand along and say, like Amos, you know, I might have said that one a little bit wrong. You know, Isaiah 53, you know, maybe that wasn't quite right. Not in the slightest. By the way, listen to what God said about that and why that cannot be true. Here's what God's words were. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 20. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. Here's what God said. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Here's the command. If a prophet comes along and he says that he's speaking for God or any other gods, that person should die. And you go, okay, so how do we know? That's what verse 21 says. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has spoken? So here's a people, here's like this rhetorical question. Here's God says, I want you to kill a prophet who says that they're speaking in the words of God. Okay, that's pretty big. Well, how do we know if they're really the words of God or not? Is there a question in verse 21? Here's how you know. Verse 22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, 
If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously and you need not be afraid of him. That was the test. He says, here's how you know if you really have a prophet on your hands. Everything they say comes true. Isn't that what Paul just said here in chapter 12 and verse 3? No one speaking in the Spirit says Jesus is accursed. They're going to speak the truth. And here in Deuteronomy, Moses said, if they don't speak the truth, you're not to be afraid of them. And God says you're actually supposed to kill him. Now, that's a far cry from Sam Storms, who says every prophet who ever came along by some way or another got something wrong. If so, they all should have been killed every single time they spoke. That's not how it worked. There was such a confidence That this was the word of God when God moved a prophet to speak. That God could say to the congregation of Israel, if he says something that doesn't come true, if he says something that's false, you go ahead and stone him because it ain't from me. That's a big deal. There's no wiggle room of, well, I might have heard that one wrong. (laughs) Maybe I got the wrong application or the wrong interpretation. Why could God say that? Because it wasn't the person speaking anymore. It was the very words of God coming out of his mouth. The prophet was not sitting down going, now those are some good words. Let me think of how I can make that a sermon. He's speaking God's words. That's why you could know if he was a prophet or if he wasn't. And that's a critical test for us today. There's a lot of people who claim to have the gift of prophecy. There's a lot of people who claim to be prophets. And what is interesting is many times, more often than not, they'll be wrong, but they'll use like Sam Storm says, well, that's okay. That doesn't make us false prophets or false teachers. God says, that's exactly what that makes you. If you speak something that doesn't come to pass or is untrue, and you claim to be speaking the very words of God, you claim to be a prophet, he says, you are not to be listened to in the slightest. To go along with that, as I listened to those online sermons, there was one of the lessons where they had some of the uh, practicing prophets come to the microphone and give some prophecies. And they kept that on the recording. So I was listening to that going, well, this should be interesting. I'm curious what the prophecies were like. Most of the prophecies went, actually all of them went like this. I've got a message for you. God wants to build you up. Well, that's useful. Did you ever see the prophets in the scriptures do that? Give some kind of vague generality as a prophetic message from God? That's not what you read these prophets doing. They're saying, thus says the Lord, God's going to do this and this is going to happen to you and these are your sins and here's the judgment that's going to happen. Vastly different. And I think it's interesting to see that often what you find in those prophecies are either A, something very vague, Oh, God wants a blessing on you. God wants to encourage you. Well, that's great. No, no kidding. Uh, great. And, or they will say something specific, but then have the back door to be able to go, well, I don't always get it right. You know, I might have misunderstood that interpretation. 
Neither of those are the gift of prophecy. Neither of those are true spiritual gifts. That's not what we see in the Bible whatsoever. To be clear, I'm not a prophet because God is not giving me the words to say right now. He is not ejecting Brent's brain and going, here's the words, go, go, go. Uh -uh. I'm just speaking these words in the scriptures, not a prophet, not a prophet in the slightest. Let's then draw, I think, some some really important conclusions that that come from from all of this, because I think it is so easy to see people have their faith rattled and their faith shaken because uh, of these false things. Number one, God says that whoever truly has the gift of prophecy never said anything wrong because they're speaking the very words of God. That's powerful. That changes everything. There's no misapplication or misunderstanding because the prophecy was never left to interpretation or application. It was never left up to that individual to discern it or mess it up or change it or something like that, which makes sense of what 1 Corinthians 12 verse 6 says. Those gifts were activated, they were empowered by God. The prophet said the words of the Holy Spirit as he was carried along. Prophecy is always, always presented in Scripture as the infallible, authoritative declaration of God's inerrant revelation. There was never a, I'm not really sure, or I feel, or I think. It was always, these are God's words. Listen to them. And prophets would be arrested and killed for that. And what would the prophet always say? But it's going to come to pass because it's God's words. It's not my understanding. It's not my application or interpretation at all. So to round this out, as we added from last week, all spiritual gifts are given by God through an apostle laying hands on a Christian. That's how those gifts were given. We made that conclusion last week. That therefore, when the apostles died, there was no way to continue to transfer these gifts. It wasn't possible. So those gifts ended then when the apostles died. No longer could those gifts be given. We learn much about spiritual gifts in this text. That spiritual gifts were activated by God. And prophecy was speaking the very words of God. And there was no error in the slightest when those words were given. Anyone who claimed to be a prophet or have a prophecy but spoke something wrong, God said, don't listen to him. In fact, he told the congregation of Israel, you killed them for them claiming to have the very words of God, but speaking falsely. Now, what does that all mean for us? Here is, I think, the really neat thing. We have prophecy today because the apostles and prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they wrote those things down. And you hold those prophecies in your hands. That's one of the great things. Read Revelation 1 and the first three verses. It says, This is prophecy. You're holding the prophecy in your hands. And so there is no debate or elbowing with one another about, well, do you have a gift? Maybe you should try to get a gift. Maybe you've got this and you've got that. Guess what? We're all on equal playing field because God has revealed to us these very words. Those prophets wrote those things down. God had Isaiah write those prophetic words down. 
God had Amos write those prophetic words down. God had the apostles write those prophetic words down. And so it gives us a great blessing that we don't need prophets today. We don't need people to claim to be prophets of God because it was all given to us. As a a final aside, as we conclude, one of the things that's interesting that I heard with Sam Storms and all that is he said, any prophecy that the person would receive needs to be compared with the scriptures. And I'll give this to you over and over again. If you have to compare it with the scriptures, then what's the point of your gift? Either the scriptures are all you need and I don't need the prophecy or the prophecy stands outside the scriptures and you don't need the scriptures. Why would a prophet need the scriptures? Well, I got to make sure what I got was right. Well, then you're not a prophet because you would know that it was the very words of God and it would conform perfectly to the will and the words of God. This, again, is a backdoor excuse to try to say, well, I'm not really sure when that's not how prophecy operated in the first century or at any time when we see prophets in the scriptures. All right, Lord willing, next week, gift of tongues. We'll take this text again. There's another gift in here that's very popular, gift of tongues. We'll talk about that next week. Pull your songbooks out. We'll sing invitation song. And we invite you to come to Jesus and all that we need to know about Jesus, all that we need to know from God has been recorded for us right here. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, When you read, you can understand my insights, my understanding into the mystery of Christ. All that time, all that history, as prophets spoke, not knowing how God was going to fulfill those things, God comes along and says, I wrote those things down so that when you read, you can understand. You can read the prophecies of God. You can read the message of God. You can know all that you need to know right here. Open your word. Learn about Jesus. Learn about his forgiveness. Learn about his love and grace and learn about his salvation. We invite you to choose to do that today, to turn away from your sins, to turn away from living for self and live for Jesus Christ. Live for him with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, with all your heart. Give your life completely to him. Confess Jesus to be the son of God who came to this world and died for your sins. Be immersed in water to have your sins washed away. If you're ready to become a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, won't you come? Well, we stand and while we sing.